Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad that we're going to have our prayer series today. We're very excited about our very special guest. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. I'm joined here in studio with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Peter, hello. Hello, Bill. You know how much fun this is. It is. Does not get much more fun than this. It's been an absolute blast. And not only is it fun to have these conversations, but I just have to say, first day of, of official sort of sandal wearing, fifty degree weather. I mean, we're heading into spring. It's just getting better. You're every, in an every awfully week. good mood. I am an awfully good mood. But when when the when the temperature gets above fifty, like all, all of life changes, yeah. right? At the yeah, end I of the agree. day, I agree. Yeah. So I know that I told you who our special guest was several weeks ago. You did, and it was uh, it was the great. Becky Pippert. The great Becky Pippert. Because she is great. I think Becky might be her middle name, actually. <laughs> I, I think great is, great just, is that yeah. first name. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Because she was with us on our Salvation Series yeah. several months ago. Well, and the story she told, right? Uh, incredible. I still remember the story of being on an airplane and how she was sharing uh, her faith in that. And some really, yes. another story of some very her, difficult circumstances. With her overseas. hairdresser. That was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, she's, yeah. she's written, uh, I think, 11 or 12 books out of the salt. Shaker is one that many people will know. Stay Salt is another one. And uh, Hope Has Its Reasons. That's the very first book of hers that I purchased probably 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, no, you, you, before I ever had a chance to speak with her, I know you were telling me about her and just saying what, just what an incredible impact as a teacher, evangelist, just a person of faith that she really is. Big fan. So yeah, she's with sure. us today and she's on our studio line. Becky, welcome. Well, listen, after that <laughs> intro, I never thought that my middle name might be... <laughs> It is. Becky it is. the Great. And yeah. also, I'm looking at my window in Michigan, and I see snow. And you are telling me that you're in the 50s? Yeah, it's probably coming your way, right? Yeah. If weather does move from west to east, indeed, yeah. Where are you? I forget where you are. We're in Minnesota. That's what I thought. St. Paul, Minnesota, I thought yeah. It was, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So usually uh, it is a little bit chillier there, but, oh, we are ready for spring. So I think you need to start the legal procedures of getting uh, Manly taken out of your name and Great put in there. <laughs> so it goes from Rebecca Manly Pippert to Rebecca Great Pippert. Very apropos, yeah. I would say, on every level, yes. You're so nice to join the show. We just loved when you were on with us last, and we couldn't wait to get you back on. And we, oh, we're talking about prayer, and it's, you know, one thing that's always come up with every guest on prayer is everyone admits to having a little bit of a struggle with it. Mm. Is that the same for you? Oh, golly. I, this is so embarrassing, but I love to pray. Oh, I love it. It is, it is uh, you know, now it's been a process. I, I would not have said that in the beginning of my walk with the Lord, but but it that has become a tremendous joy. So maybe we can get into that a bit, too. And that is, uh, you know, how does that happen? Um, but it was a struggle in the beginning, but I think as God becomes more and more real, you just, I can just sense the Lord leaning in, leaning down, listening as we pray, saying, oh, I just am so delighted you're talking to me and I've, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> well, Becky, we got lots of time and Peter and I do not want to talk. So it's, uh, the, the floor is yours. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. 
And I'd be curious too, Becky, just even that first piece about what you said is the Lord becoming more and more real. Are you mm-hmm. suggesting that as you engaged in the prayer journey, and maybe it was a struggle at start, but there there was a sense in which you began to recognize God's presence and, and God's voice as you entered into this process? That's exactly right. And that is a really important aspect, this recognizing um, uh, God's presence. The first thing I want to say, and because I kind of want to set it up because we'll t- I'll tell some stories, but what I love about prayer is that you're never more human than when you're praying. Pray, it, prayer is such an accurate picture of what it means to be human because we're the creatures, we're not the creator. We're God-dependent, we're not self-sufficient. And so the two critical aspects of prayer is that Prayer teaches us that to be human, we have to joyfully accept our smallness, our inadequacy without shame. And I think, I can't remember if I said this on the last show, but one of the things I love is when the Apostle Paul asked the Lord to take away his weakness, and which is the thorn in the flesh, and the Lord says, no, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes, well, all right. Then I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, that's the first dimension of prayer, is that we come in joyfully celebrating our weakness. We're inadequate. We, we don't know, uh, you know, what to do. We need guidance. We need help in every way. That's the first part about prayer that I love. The second part about prayer is that, um, and it's really the second aspect of being human, not only do we celebrate our inadequacy, but we know where true power comes from. And it comes from God alone. And that's why we're always praying. We turn to God in prayer because we know we're weak, but he is strong. We're inadequate. He's he's sufficient. Um, So this acceptance of weakness, what I'm saying, is more than acknowledging our limitations. It's experiencing a power much greater than our own and surrendering to it. Now, here's the interesting thing, I think, about Western culture. Um, in fact, that question you asked is, is prayer a struggle? By and large, in the global south, you wouldn't hear anybody saying it's a struggle. Uh, not in, in Asia, not in Latin America, certainly not in Africa. But in the West, we often say it is a struggle. Why is that? Also, it isn't just the global south that that delights in prayer. The early church delighted in prayer. But it's a glaring deficiency in the West. And I think one of the reasons why we struggle with prayer is our lack of dependence on the Spirit's power. Uh, it, it And now there's a reason for this, and that is that we live in advanced modernity. What is unseen with God is considered unreal. Only what is seen, only what can be measured, only what can be tested, that's our secular culture. But in the Bible, what is unreal, or you know, what is unseen, rather, is the most real. That's why Elisha says, you know, when a servant comes and says, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? There, we, you know, we couldn't possibly fight this crowd. We don't have the resources. And Elisha just says to the Lord, just show him, will you? Just, just show him. And all of a sudden, his servant sees the chariots of fire. He sees the 
the what you that can't be seen but what is real in the world of God. So the question is, how do we fix our eyes on what is real? How do we learn how to walk in the spirit? Now in John 15, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going away. Don't be depressed. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You will never be alone. And his whole teaching is saying, there is going to be another who dwells within you. And then 10 times in John 15, he talks about how do you bring that reality into your life, that God is there, that he is real, that he is consciously present. So he goes, dwell in me, and I dwell in you. Abide in me, I'll abide in you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we learn how to dwell in God's presence? Certainly one is the word of God, but the other is prayer. And I got to tell you, once I understood the importance of practicing, it's another way of saying abiding in Christ, practicing the presence of Jesus, consciously acknowledging his presence, it really changed my life. And it made a huge difference in my spiritual life, and it made a huge difference in my evangelism. And so in in my most recent book, Stay Salt, that's my new book, on evangelism. Uh, it's stay salt, the world has changed, our message must not. And I talk about the tremendous importance of being human, of acknowledging our weakness and inadequacy, and the other aspect of being human, of knowing where to go, who has the power. Okay, how do we do that then? How do we consciously practice the presence? And I say in stay salt, there's four things. That one of the things that we need to do is to remember. I can remember when I I really began to understand this for the first time. And I I began to not just have a quiet time, pray, and then check with God at the end of the day. (laughs) I really began reminding myself throughout the day in every situation, Becky, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. He dwells within you through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's such a simple practice, but the truth is you fall off the wagon all the time. It takes time before this becomes a reality, but I've got to tell you, consciously acknowledging God's presence reminded me that I no longer needed to rely just on my abilities, nor was I limited merely by my inadequacies. The Spirit of God would give me what I needed. I began reminding myself, you remember. Secondly, I rejoiced. I thank God throughout the day that his presence was in me, it was with me, that I had access to God's power and wisdom and love by my faith in Jesus. Now, uh, faith that Jesus really meant what he said when he said that he was there. And then, after remembering and rejoicing, I began to request. And throughout the day, in every situation I was in, I'd say, come, Holy Spirit, come. I'd start praying. If I'm speaking to a skeptic, I'd say, I need the mind of Christ. I need wisdom. I don't know how to reach this person. Help me. Uh, I need love. If I'm going to just, you know, if if I'm depending on my love, I'm going to run out in the natural world fast. I need supernatural love. Give me your love love. Give me boldness. Give me clarity. I can't tell you how that impacted my evangelism because I I began to realize God is with me in this conversation. I'm not alone. 
And then, fourthly, I didn't just remember and rejoice and request, but I kept renewing my commitment to keep in step with the Spirit. Um, So... uh, now, I can give you an example of that, but we may be out of time right now before uh, – I don't know how much no, more time we have at the break. we got two minutes before we go to break, so yeah. All right. Let me see if I can do this really fast. I'm in France, and Dick and I, my husband and I, we are in the south of France uh, doing a, um, a series of conferences throughout the south of France. All right. Raphael is, is the one who invited me. He's a great Christian evangelist and leader. And we, the very first day we got together, we prayed that God would lead us to non-believers uh, immediately. Uh, that he would lead. And then we always pray that anyway, but we said, Lord, right now, and I prayed that for myself. I'll tell you how God meant that prayer later. But all right, so we're saying, and we're in Nice, and we said, please, Lord, show us, lead us to someone that you are seeking. So that weekend, then we had our very first conference, and Raphael and three other ministers ordered uh, an Uber uh, to take them, you know, to the conference, and they passed this just beautiful church, and we call him Roth, and he said to the Uber driver, he goes, that is the most beautiful church. Do you know the name of that church? He goes, that is so amazing you'd ask me that, because uh, I just passed the church last Sunday, and I'm not a believer, but I felt this irresistible urge to go inside. So I turned the car around, and I went in. That's why I know the name of the church. And he said, well, Roth goes, what made you want to go inside? And he said, you know, lately I've been feeling this emptiness <laughs> that I can't quite put into words. And I've never been a churchgoer. But this just overwhelming experience of, of just, you've got to go in there. So I sat in the back, but all of a sudden I, I began experiencing something. I don't know how to describe it other than God was with me. I felt a presence. But it's probably just my imagination. And Raphael said, it's not your imagination. You were experiencing the presence of God. And he goes, oh, but how would you know that, the Uber driver? And Roth said, well, all three of us are ministers. And he goes, oh, that's not possible. And so they unzipped their jackets, and two of them had collars. And, you know, and he went, oh, my gosh. And he said, okay. Uh, so he started pouring out his questions, and Roth said, can we pray for you after they answered his questions? And he prayed for them. Then the Uber driver said, I got to tell you something. My mother recently became a Christian. And he said, after going to church last Sunday, she emailed me Monday and said she'd prayed all week that on Sunday I'd be irresistibly drawn to going to church. And I've tried to convince myself it was just a coincidence, but now I pick up three ministers who are telling me God's presence is real. (laughs) Would Would you pray for me again? Wow. Now look. That's how real God is. That's why we pray. And of all the Uber drivers, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's not unbelievable, but it's so (laughs) thrilling. It's so thrilling. All right, we'll take a little break. Becky Pippert is our guest, and we'll be right back in a minute. in our prayer series with Becky Pippert. She's our special guest today. Her books are Stay Salt. 
to name one. Another one is out of the salt shaker and into the world. Evangelism as a way of life. Hope has its reasons and many others. And, you know, Peter, she had just mentioned uh, before the break about how her and her husband were doing ministry in the south of France. Yeah, Um, funny funny how you make a call there. uh, Well, I mean, you and I were once almost booked to do a ministry in Toledo, but that (laughs) fell through. (laughs) Not unsurprisingly. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, we almost got out and did something We did. We almost did something cool cool like that. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah. what a great story. Amazing story. Yeah, it really is an amazing story, Becky. um, So let's talk about prayer as a step to evangelism. Well, you know, it, it is it is critical to evangelism. Mm-hmm. Because it's the foundation of evangelism. Now, now there's other aspects. We need to establish real relationships with people, and we need to learn. You know, I mean, that's what stay salt's all about. I mean, how do you talk to people? How do you depend on the spirit? All, all that kind of stuff. But it starts in evangelism, and particularly um, in asking God, who are the people in my life right now? that you are seeking, that that give me the eyes to see, open my eyes. Now, the other aspect of this, actually, is also familiarizing yourself with the Word of God and looking at all the different things and the ways that God talks about uh, what the gospel means. There's so many different metaphors that he uses, but one of the things that is so moving to me is this idea of coming home that we are homesick. Do you know that Steven Spielberg, I I heard him in an interview not too long ago, and he said, if you look at my films, every single film is about the uh, being homesick, not knowing where to turn, feeling disconnected. Mm. And so he said, what I'm trying to do in story is to show that that we're not crazy, We're, we're somehow we're cut off. And we don't know why we feel like orphans and strangers in a strange land, but we all feel that way. But I'm always trying to bring people reconciliation. And so in E.T., you know, he said, it's E.T., come home. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm listening to this and thinking, oh, my goodness, that is the gospel. That we we have a home to come to. Well, I told you that when we were in France and uh, we had prayed, you know, with the, the guy that invited us to travel. And he said, um, and we really spent time that first day together, Dick, my husband, and Raphael and myself, really asking the Lord to guide us to people that were open, that were looking, that were searching. That it wasn't just, I felt I wasn't coming in just as a professional to teach on evangelism. I have to keep experiencing it. Mm-hmm. That's how it becomes real. That, that's how it keeps fresh. Well, all right, so that's what happened to him. He went to the conference that weekend, and he met the Uber driver. What happened to me? We prayed that prayer, and the very next day, I, they had rented us a, um, uh, a sort of a – it wasn't a condo. It was much smaller than that. But anyway, it was a place because we were there for a week before we started traveling. And so the person who was in charge of the apartment called me, and she said, I always like to check on people. Would it be all right if I came over and just introduced myself? Oh, I said, that's great. So <clears throat> her name is Martha, and she came over. And we just clicked right away. I don't know what it was, but, we, you know, I just really liked her. And she said to me, um, 
so she was very kind of sophisticated and articulate, very, very fun. She goes, Becky, why are you here in France? Are you on holiday or are you working? Now, it was too early. I wasn't going to tell her within five minutes why I was there. And I said, can you stay for a coffee and we can talk about it? She said, oh, I'd love it. So she sits down, I make her coffee, and I, but I immediately began asking her a lot of questions about her life. And, um, and she uh, had a fascinating life. I won't go through all that. And that, again, is the story in Stay Salt. But she really, really had a fascinating life. It traveled the world. And I'm listening to her, and I'm praying at the same time. This is why, again, you don't just pray, God, guide me to the person, but you're praying while you're speaking to them. And I said, Lord, help me. I'm not seeing any opening here. She doesn't, it was clear she wasn't a Christian, but I said, help me. Literally at the second I prayed that, she pulls a cross out um, that had had slipped inside her blouse. And she, there, and so it was beautiful. And I said, oh my gosh, that is the most beautiful cross. She goes, you know, it's funny. She said, I was in Africa. I bought it. I've never worn a cross in my life. But whenever I wear it, I just don't know how to describe it. I kind of feel like... I don't know what kind of peace or a protection or that it's, I don't know, leading me somewhere home. I, I, well, I mean, because that's <laughs> ridiculous. I don't even know if there's a God, and I certainly never go to church. And so, but she says, I can't believe I have poured out so much of my life to you. I never do that. Now, that's the love of Christ. <laughs> We're not going to get anywhere written evangelism without a genuine interest in people and the love of Christ. But she goes, okay, I've talked for half an hour. Why are you and Dick in France? I said, well, I said, we're here because I am, we're speaking to churches throughout the south of France. I started there, and she went, well, you can't be a nun because you're married, and you're not wearing <laughs> funny clothes. So she goes, how on earth did you get in a line of work like this? I said, well, now that would tell, I need to tell you a little bit about my life. So I told her I wasn't raised in a family of faith and told her, uh, you know, a little bit about my story. And I said, but, and she said, so you are saying, you're calling yourself, you said you became a Christian. What in the world does that mean? Explain that a little bit. She said, Becky, I can't believe I am sitting next to someone telling me that Jesus Christ is real to them, that God is real to them. Because yesterday I went to the funeral of a good friend and it was in a church. She said, Becky, I can't remember the last time I've been inside a church. But as the service proceeded, I started to feel this homesickness. Wow. And I said, I don't know if I'm speaking to four walls or if there is a God, but if there is a God, here's my question. Will I ever find the way home? Mm. Will Mm. I ever find the peace I'm seeking? 24 hours later, I'm talking to you, and you're telling me you found your true home? She said, look, I've got to go to a meeting. Would you have lunch with me next week? I said, absolutely, or in about five or six days. So we get together. Becky, I'm I'm going to need you to pause that story at that point, just because we're up against a hard break, and I have have nowhere to go but uh, to break. So uh, (laughs) we'll continue with Becky Pippert. I know you will. (laughs) Becky Pippert's our guest. Becky Great Pippert. Uh, I don't even know what the manly used to stand for. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's, it's irrelevant now. It's irrelevant. It's it's gone, yeah. We'll take a short break and be right back.
back with Becky Pippert. You go to BeckyPippert.org to learn more about Becky, all of her books and her amazing uh, resources and everything she's got going uh, nowadays. Becky Pippert, B-I-P-P-E-R-T.org. So, Becky, when we last left off, you were having lunch in the south of France. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eat your heart out. <laughs> well, I'm with the woman that was the, um, uh, you know, she was in charge of the apartment where they had put us when we were doing a, um, the beginning of our ministry in France. And she had, as I said, um, told me that she had been in church the day before saying, whether it's God or four walls, will I ever find the peace I'm looking for? Will I ever find my true home? And so when we met for lunch then, about four or five days later, um, she said, you know, Becky, um, she said, I want to tell you my, my story. And she said, both of my parents died when I was very young. And she said, my second parent died when I was a teenager. He died literally in my presence, collapsed of a heart attack. And ever since, I have felt abandoned. I felt alone in the universe. The world has never been a safe place for me. But Becky, when I said those things in church, if there is a God listening, it, it was a kind of prayer. And then the next day, I meet you. And all these last four or five days, I've been saying, is it a coincidence? And I said, no, it's not. God's real. And he heard your prayer, and it's why we met the very next day. That This is God's doing because he loves you. And though you have felt abandoned, he has been seeking you. And so she said, well, all right, explain to me what you really believe. So I, I shared the gospel. And then she said, you know, when I left home all those years ago, it broke my, the remaining family members, uh, it, it broke their hearts. I was so angry and I was so hurt and I was so certain God had abandoned me. Um, but, but I've just always felt disconnected from any true home. And I said, Martha, do you know something? That is exactly why Jesus came. And he, he really came to bring us to our true home in God. And I said, in fact, Jesus tells a story in the Bible. Now, I didn't have a Bible in my purse, but I just began sharing with her the prodigal son. And I said, he tells a story about an angry son who left home just like you did. And you see, let me just say parenthetically, this is where it's not only the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. It is the power of the Word of God. And what I would always suggest, get them into the presence of Jesus as fast as you can. Not not you know, being sensitive to the person, but when they see what Jesus is like, uh, it is so powerful. I've written what I call seeker Bible studies. And anyway, so I tell her about the prodigal son. And I said it was about an angry son who left home just like you did and then experienced great difficulties, just like you have shared with me. So he returned home. And he was very afraid of how his father was going to respond. I said, how do you think the father responded when he saw him? She said, well, the son must have broken his heart. So maybe the father kept him at a distance at first in order to see if he was really sorry. I said, that's exactly what the, the son thought the father would do, exactly what you just said. But when the father saw his son walking towards home, do you know what he did? 
He ran and he met him and he embraced him. He dressed him in new clothes. He threw a huge welcome home party. I said, that's what God's like, Martha. And he wants to welcome you home. He really does. She goes, okay, what's the next step where God is concerned? What do you do to come home to God? So I shared, I'd already shared the gospel. I shared how to come to Christ. And she goes, all right, here's what I want to do. I'm not ready yet to ask Jesus to come into my life, but I want to start reading the Bible. And I said, I'll get you a Bible before we leave. And she says, I'm in, are there any more stories in the Bible like that one (laughs) that you told me? And I said, oh, there are. And do you know, um, we have been in touch ever since. She has a boyfriend, actually. And this is like, when was it? Three years ago. And he just wrote me. And said, uh, oh, my gosh, Martha still talks about you, loves you. When can we all get together? So as far as I know, Martha isn't a Christian yet. But it isn't that people are always going to come to Christ the first time we share the gospel. It takes time. But, oh, my goodness, the power of prayer. Raphael and I prayed the day before and the next day is when I met her. So we need to pray and realize God is always, um, always looking and seeking. But there's, but I want to say something here. Now, you may have a different question, but I don't want it to sound like every single time I talk to somebody, it's always brilliant and it always goes great. Mm-hmm. And people always come to Christ. It's not true. Um, there's there's people who are spiritually closed. There are people who are spiritually open. And um, one of the things I think we have to recognize, in one way, evangelism is so much easier than we realize, especially when you understand that God has given us, he's with us. Uh, as we pray, he gives us what we need, etc. cetera. Um, but at the same time, we have an enemy. And evangelism can be a lot harder than we initially expected. And so we have to know, um, what do we do when we feel we're up against some kind of resistance that, that, that we don't quite understand? When we feel that there is um, a demonic interference because it's real, and especially in our day, you know, we're there with all the troubles that we're going through in our culture. We need to know how to engage in spiritual warfare. So, um, for example, uh, and this happened to me a lot. We lived in Europe for seven years, and I did evangelism training, but evangelistic outreach. And I worked not just, you know, with Dick and me, but we also worked as a team with different people. And I remember one evangelistic outreach, and it was in a place that had been very hardened to the gospel. And um, when Dick and I walked in the room, we just, it, 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 you know, this was the first evening, and it was a mission. It was four nights, and it was students largely college students. But anyway, it was evangelistic messages, and I was to give the talk the next night. But he, this other guy gave it the first night. And all I can tell you is Dick and I both sensed. um, it, It was like you could hear it in the speaker. It was like he was stepping in molasses, that he could hardly, you know, he was just struggling. And I know him. I know how, how great he is at all this. But it was a struggle. And Dick and I just turned to each other and said, there's a demonic presence here. Mm-hmm. And so we prayed and prayed while he was speaking. 
the meeting was over, and I asked the staff, the team, and the speaker. I said, and he goes, Becky, what went wrong? I just felt like I did it all wrong. I said, no, 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 you weren't doing it wrong. I said, we have an enemy. And I said, we felt the presence, so we need to pray. And what was interesting is that usually we come together early and we pray in the room where we are going to speak. And, you know, we do more preparation. Everybody got in that night, and there hadn't been the preparation of prayer. So we did it afterwards. After everybody left, we prayed and prayed and prayed, and we rebuked in the name of Jesus any demonic attacks coming against the gospel or against us. And then we praised God and thanked him for his power and thanked him for his gospel. And then we went to every chair that was in that room, and we all went to different chairs. And then we individually, we prayed over whoever was going to sit in that chair, that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes, that they would see, that they would move closer, that some would come to Christ. And I bet we prayed for an hour all together on these different aspects. I cannot tell you the difference it made. The next night, and we did stuff during the day as well. I did apologetic talks where students would come. But the next night, and then every night, it was four or five nights, every night the numbers increased, increased, increased. But the change in the atmosphere was so amazing. And all kinds of people came to the Lord. But we have to recognize we have an enemy. And uh, he's defeated, but we also need to know and that he who is within us is, is greater than he who is in the world. But we have to not be afraid, but pray. And in, in, in some cases, in other cases, we pray and fast. But, but anyway, I, I wanted to say that so people realize it's not that every time I go somewhere, it's all so easy. Um, but what do you do? about family. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and I was the first person to become a Christian in my family. And oh my gosh, I mean, nobody knew what to do with me because it just was such a shock to them, you know, that I'd come to Christ. And it took a long time. But, well, my mother and my sister came to the Lord pretty quickly, but my father and my brother took a long time. I led my dad to the Lord 30 years after I came to Christ. But nobody in my family, uh, an extended family, were believers. And I had an uncle, it was my mother's brother, that we absolutely adored. And um, when he was uh, uh, 60, he developed lung cancer and then died uh Oh, I don't know, maybe six months after the diagnosis. But I I wanted to talk about just when it's important to know when you're dealing with a very special need, the power of prayer and fasting. And when my mother called and said, that my uncle Roger, you know, was really, really ill, and of course we were praying for healing, and but, but above all, we prayed for the healing of salvation. Because by now my mother was a believer, and we prayed that that Roger would really, um, you know, I had witnessed to him, but uh, and he was such a wonderful guy. I mean, so full of love, uh, but just no interest in faith. Well, I called my best friend. The very next day, because my mom called one evening, and I called her the very next day. In fact, I'll tell you who it was. You know who Oz Guinness is. Mm -hmm. It was his wife, Jenny. 
and we uh, the, lived in Washington, D.C., and I called Jenny. She has tremendous uh, spiritual gifts. And I said, Jenny, my uncle is dying, and I, I am just feeling desperate. Would you pray with me on the phone? Well, we prayed, and I couldn't get out of Washington to get to Champaign, Illinois, which is my hometown. And I, my kids were little. And there were a, 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 several reasons why I couldn't get out of town immediately. So Jenny and I decided that we would pray and fast for the next several days. It was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in prayer because um, to watch what God was doing. <clears throat> we would pray on the phone for a long periods of time each day. And, of course, I was always in touch with my mother um, to find out what was happening. And um, then all of a sudden, um, uh, and we just, I said, Jenny, the thing I'm feeling in prayer is that Uncle Roger needs to hear the gospel. Um, it's been a while since I, you know, I've shared the gospel with him. He needs to hear the gospel. But he, my mother called and said he's now gone into a coma. And, uh uh, that the kind of mind wandering free in space and time, you know, there, that, that he hadn't been conscious for several days. Never mind, Jenny and I, it was like our second or third day now, praying and fasting. We'd have dinner, but we wouldn't have anything during the day. And we just cried out to God, please, please bring someone who will share the gospel one last time. Do not let him, at least, you know, at, don't let him die, you know, uh, without at least hearing the gospel, but knowing you and responding. So that day that we were praying that again, that he'd be revived long enough to hear the message, a hometown doctor, it was his GP, um, you know, everybody loved Roger, and he had finished his rounds, he was, you know, as a doctor, was taking a shower, and he felt the Lord say, I want you to see Roger. I want you to go. So he uh, calls Megan, my cousin, and he says, Meg, I want to come, and I want to share the gospel with Roger. And she said, oh, listen, don't bother. She said, and she had just become a Christian, but she said he's completely unconscious and won't do any good. And this doctor said to me later, the, the Lord said to him, did I tell you I wanted you to go? His life is in my hands. Go! And so at 4.55, my Uncle Roger woke up out of a coma, smiled. Three days he'd been in a coma. He, My mother was there, and he asked her about my grandmother, his mother, totally alert. Nurses start flying around. Nobody could believe he had re They were waiting for him to die any second. 4.55, he came out of the coma at 5 o'clock in walked the doctor. And Megan, of course, my cousin, was just saying, how could I have told him not to come? And then there he was. So he asked if he could see Roger alone. He said, you're one of the finest men I've ever known, Roger, but have you done anything in your life that you regret? He said, oh, I have so many regrets. And he said, Jesus came to forgive the wrongs, to forgive the regrets. He died to make it right for you. And so he shared the gospel. And uh, he said, do you understand everything I'm saying? And he said, yes, I do. I just wish you'd told me a little sooner, Roger said. <laughs> and he said, but I don't think I'm ready yet. I need more time to think. And the doctor said, you know, Roger, God loves you so much. He may give you more time. I'm going to pray that he will. And he walked and he left. Roger said goodbye to all the family, went right back into a coma 
And then in the middle of the night, when my cousin was there, he suddenly came alert again. Now, she was the only child at that point who was a Christian. And she said, Daddy, do you remember what the doctor who was here, do you remember what he talked about? And he, she, and he said, yes, I do. And she said, I just have to know, Dad. I can't bear the thought of spending eternity without you. And he drifted back into sort of a semi-coma, didn't answer. And then all of a sudden, his eyes were so clear, his eyes opened, and he goes, Meg, did you see him when he came to visit me? And he said, did I, did I see whom, Daddy? He said, he came. He came. He came right to my bed, and he spoke to me and asked me if I was going to accept him. And she said, what did you say? And he said, I said yes. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. And he died shortly after wow. that. Thank you. Amazing. Oh, I tell oh. you. Wow, wow, wow. God is so good. No, he is so that's good, amazing. and he never gives up. And if somebody's listening to this and going, "But Becky, I didn't get there in time. I, I, I wanted to get there." I, the thing that's so wonderful, God desires that none perish, but that everyone come to salvation. Now, some will perish. That's true, but I can't tell you how many times I have met somebody who, a godly nurse was there when the family couldn't make it in time yes. and led them to the Lord. And even if they couldn't speak, they'd say, if they share the gospel, is this what you want? If it is, squeeze my hand, and they squeezed his oh, hand. Never so give up on God, yeah. never. Becky, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more of Becky Pippert. with Becky Great Pippert, and she is uh, our special guest today for our prayer series. Dr. Peter Kapscher and I are just enjoying this to the max, Peter. It's incredible. It's like we it's have amazing. a free Becky Pippert conference going on right now. I know. And we just, we're sitting in the front row, <laughs> right? It's uh, fantastic. Just, it's, it is phenomenal. We're not wrong about this great moniker either. No, I mean, we're not. It's been proven out over these last 45 minutes yeah. for sure. Oh, it's so great to talk to you guys. So, well, so how much time do we have left? We have uh, seven minutes. Oh. Yeah, and when we get done, Becky, make sure you don't hang up right away because I have to talk to you off air because we have some okay. mutual friends in common. I don't want this to slip through the cracks. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you may have a question. I also have a thought. I'd rather but... go with your thought Indeed. than my question. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what I think we need to do, I, I think we are living in a time that is in such desperate, desperate need of revival and um and revival begins when the church repents and and uh turns to the Lord in a fresh and new way, and then um God revitalizes us, and then out of that he revitalizes the world so one of the, and and the foundation of revival is prayer, so one of the things I'd suggest is. Go to the Bible and look at the great examples of prayer and learn from them. And there's so many, oh, and there's so many great revival uh, stories. But um, Daniel, Daniel, when he repented on behalf of the country, the holiest people to ever live, and the way that he repented. Or look at David. 
David, one of the things I love, I did a book on David called A Heart for God. And David, what I loved about David is that he knew what to do with his humanity. He he was in touch with his humanity. And what he knew, what he did with his humanity is that he brought it to God. Um, he acknowledged his doubts, his anger, his depression, his unbelief. How long, how long, how long are you going to take, Lord? And David gives us permission to be human. And it's why we need to pray his prayers in the Psalms, because they, they, they help us to be more honest, to be more real. But the thing that fascinates me, because David, he prayed all the time because God hears. God listens. God's there. Um, but he, he didn't let, and this is very important for Americans, where we're living in this culture with just trust your heart, you know, just trust your heart. He didn't let his, he was in touch with the subjective, and that's very important. You don't write over, oh, I'm not angry. Oh, I'm not envious. No, no, no. You get in touch with what's wrong. Uh, you get in touch with your unbelief. But he didn't let the subjective uh, feelings be the ultimate interpreter of reality. God is the ultimate interpreter of reality, not what I feel. So you bring your feelings, you bring it in the presence of God, and you bring it before his word. And then we begin. It's why David would start lower than the pavement and then rise up in faith. He kept his eyes on God, and he knew how important it was. Bring your humanity, but allow God to be the ultimate interpreter of reality. Hannah is another example. You look at Hannah. And when I just love that she was what the grandmother or the great grandmother, I can't remember which of David. And so she was barren and she couldn't, it was so devastating to her. And she interpreted her barrenness as that God had forgotten her. And so she begins to pray, and this is the mystery of prayer, when she's initially just saying, just give me a baby, you know, <laughs> because what she felt was what ultimately defined her was being a mother. And if you just give me a child, it's all I need, just give me a child. This is the mystery of prayer. The more she prayed, she began to realize unconsciously that what ultimately defines us, in her case, wasn't just being uh, a mother of a child. It was recognizing that you are a child of the living God. And as she prays, she sees the most important thing isn't even having a child, but knowing that God hadn't forgotten her. And finally she goes, listen, Lord, if you give me a child and I know that you remembered me, that you have not forgotten me, I'll give it back. I'll give it back. It's the most amazing thing to watch these people pray and realize how we're transformed and brought into union with God, into his will, into his presence. So we need to do that. We need to go and look at these phenomenal people in Scripture and read their prayers and look and see how they prayed and what they did. So that was the the last thing I wanted to look at. Now, you may have some questions yourselves, but make sure we're getting back to the Word of God and the great revival prayers like Jehoshaphat, and <laughs> Daniel, and, oh, you know, all of them. Yeah, we just have about two minutes left, Becky. So, Peter, do you have a question, or do you want me to use one of my ten that I haven't used yet? I, know, I think <laughs> one of the ten seems terribly fair to me. Yeah. Uh, Becky, do we know why God desires persistent prayer from us? Is it is it designed to change us or refine us? What would be your thought on that? Yes. Um, 
Well, part of it, first of all, yes. That is um, how we are changed, how we are transformed. Um, But we also pray persistent prayers because of sin Mm. and because we have an enemy and because things don't happen. Uh, Sometimes it happens quickly, but usually it doesn't happen overnight. I prayed for my dad for 30 years. Amazing. And and it took time. Do you know that my brother— um, my brother, did I tell you my brother's story? I don't have time on this show, but yeah, we're down yeah. to a minute. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't think I told you, but, but anyway, I can't remember, but, we'll but I on. used to pray, God, please, just anybody bring anybody to witness to my brother. He's not listening to me too long of a story, but a reporter had an interview with Billy Graham and he called me and he goes, I know how worried you are about your brother. I'm going to be interviewing Billy Graham where your brother lives. Can I bring your brother along? Oh, wow. And so they they go. It's Billy Graham, my brother, and this friend. And the friend gave Billy a piece of paper, and it said, this is Becky Pippert's brother, and she's very worried about him. He doesn't know the Lord. And and so he goes, I just thought the interview might go along in this direction. Mm. And he, Billy reads it, puts it in his pocket, and then at the very end – he, he, Billy says, thank you very much. This will help, will help a great deal. At the very end, the last question was, uh, do you feel um, the world has changed more than you thought? And he goes, Billy said, oh, my goodness, the world has changed dramatically. Let me tell you what hasn't changed, and that's the gospel wow. of Jesus Christ Amen. and shared the gospel. Becky, Amazing. thank you so brother. much. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for doing the show. So fun. Love it. Uh, Love you guys. Yeah, thank that, you. That wraps up our show. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.